Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. In this podcast, we explore all of the totally unexpected ways life seems to change as we inch closer to midlife. Most of our episodes are geared toward women in their late 30s to early 50s, and we talk about things like relationships and sudden career changes, making space for new life goals, making peace with the past, and coming to terms with all that weird stuff that happens to our bodies as we get older. I hope you'll finish each episode feeling inspired, informed, and empowered. I'm so excited that you've tuned in, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of Midlife Plot Twists. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. It's Lucy Baber, and you're listening to Midlife Plot Twists. Today, I have a guest that I am very excited about for a couple of reasons. One, because this person is incredibly inspiring to me. I've learned so much just in the short time that we've known each other. And I'm excited about the organization that my guest heads up. Um, And I'm actually, I've recently joined the board for this organization. So I'm excited to share a little bit more about what's going on on this new board that I'm a part of. Uh, But my guest today, her name is the Reverend Beverly Dale. And I am going to hand it over. I, I call her Dale. So Dale, I'm going to hand it over to you, and I'd love for you to take a minute to just introduce yourself, tell us about uh, who you are, what you're all about, and the work that you do, please. My respectful title is the Reverend Dr. Beverly Dale. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. That's perfect. I'm giving you options. Uh, then some people, when I was at the University of Pennsylvania as a campus minister there, I told the students to call me Beverly. And some of them said, no, it's disrespectful. We have to call you by honorific. So I said, Rev Bev. So a lot of people know me as Rev Bev. Um, and I have now undergone a, kind of a, a, a different way of looking at who I am now. And I've asked my friends uh, to go by just Dale and my professional name is Dale, period. I don't need another name with it. Um, and I can explain why later, um, but it comes out of my own sexual, spiritual journey. And um, so so the organization that, that I founded and am now currently the co-chair of is the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. And what we do is we teach a, an inclusive, science-friendly, sex-positive Christianity. And I do that as a reverend, and I'm teaching um, sexual health professionals, therapists and counselors, but also uh, pastors or seminarians on how to address the, the sex negativity that's coming out of the Christian church over the last 2,000 years, but <laughs> uh, certainly since the purity culture got going in the 80s and 90s with abstinence only, sex education or non-sex education and uh, the misogyny and sexism of our culture and so forth. So that's kind of what I'm spending the rest of my life doing is addressing uh, what needs to be dismantled and deconstructed. And uh, I only have so many years to do that. So I guess I, I better work hard and that's what I'm doing. This is like, just hearing you describe this organization that I've already heard so much about, like still gives me 
like goosebumps. I love talking about this. So I'm so excited to get into this. And I know a lot of other people, especially in my social circle, who also grew up in evangelical purity culture kind of environments. I know people are going to really want to hear about this. So uh, let's start though, because the name of the podcast is is Midlife Plot Twist. Um, Can I ask how old you are? Is that an okay question? Well, I'm on the I'm on the old side of seventy. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> cool. I, so you're you're looking at this midlife situation from the other side. I am. I am, and I got a lot to say to to women in midlife crisis. Um, Amazing. So, yeah. So let's kind of put a pin in that just for a second because I. I want to start with talking about the Institute and the work that you're doing right now. And then maybe we can kind of work our way backwards a little bit and bring in some more of your personal story, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. So how did you start the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith? And what, like, what was going on in your life that that began? And, And what have you been doing with it since? Okay, well, I really can't talk about the organization unless I talk about my personal story. Okay, so, well, then let's do it in that order. Please. You know, it's all going to be, you're going to see how it all fits together. So Great. Um, I grew up uh, sexually repressed, sexually ignorant, had a disastrous teenage years that it started with uh, sexual abuse by a relative. I mm-hmm. basically he was using my prepubescent body for his own sex education because he was more ignorant than I was. So, mm. um, so that's my history. And then it took uh, decades for me to work through that. And after I had begun to work through that, and I'm, I'm, this is a very sh- short version here, I realized that there's all kinds of women just like me coming along behind me who are still struggling with um, sexual ignorance and not having permission to be a sexual, sensual woman, let alone a sexual, sensual Christian woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I needed to do something about that. And I got to the point where I could talk about these kinds of things without it stirring up bad memories for me. I got I've been through my own healing process so that I could really teach about it and I can use my intellect and really help my, um, women, but also men, uh, address the toxicity that's within Christianity when it comes to women, sex, and pleasure. Um, mm. The rest of the stuff, I, you know, I'm, I'm gung-ho about uh, grace and forgiveness and love that's abundant and extravagant and promiscuous. Uh, I think that's what God is about, Jesus was about. Um, but when it comes to the teachings on the body, the church took a really bad turn about 1700 years ago. And so what I want to do is help professionals, particularly learn how to help people who have been negatively impacted or just traumatized by what the church has told them. And uh, when I was at the University of Pennsylvania as a campus minister, I was appalled that here it was now 30, 40 years after um, I had gone through my teenage, early adult years. And here the women were still dealing with sexual double standards. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were now more likely to say it was okay to be sexual, but you had to keep it quiet and private and hope nobody blabbed about it because then you'd get the slut, you know, the walk of shame and the yep. slut title and all of that. And, and I was just appalled that, that 
we had not gone any farther in terms of women's liberation, uh, which is the whole point of purity culture, you understand, that came out as a direct result of the 1960s where there was a loosening of sexual mores and uh, women's liberation. And then of course we had the 80s and the 70s and 80s with the backlash. And then next thing you know, we've got uh, the churches pounding on women about uh, abortion and uh, contraception and you know freedom of rights. So we just have not gained, it seems to me, in really significant ways so that women can take ownership of our bodies without guilt and shame. And that's what we need to do. And I, it's not been good for the men either sexually, but we can talk about that later if you want. But sure. uh, my concern is, you know, we've, we've got to liberate women um, and my concern is particularly white women, because mm. we've been sold a bill of goods that women of color, our sisters of color already know is a, is a crock of you know what. <laughs> but, but the patriarchy makes us, the white women, uh, promises that it can't keep. And we need to look at that. So that's why I'm doing this work, because I want to help other women who, who, to get out from under all this stuff about sex negativity from the church and the culture that that I went through and so that we can get to the other side of it and empower women to be who they see themselves to be but empower all of us to be who we are regardless of the gender absolutely so for any for, for I feel like what all of the things that you just said will probably come as like mind-blowing in itself for somebody who is still very steeped in that culture mm-hmm. can you maybe this is an unfair question, but do you have a like one minute spiel that backs up your claims with like biblical references or like where, where, if somebody is very deeply entrenched in this, how would you kind of start to open their mind to see the importance and the relevance to their life? Yeah, I would do with Bible verses. None, none of this sex negativity comes from the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. None of it comes from the life or teachings of Jesus. So the whole thing around, and it came about about, well, it's hundred years after he was gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then by the fourth century, now it was, the gospel was completely in the hands of misogynistic, sexist, <laughs> sexually conflicted, white dudes, mm-hmm. um, who were into power and status and privilege. So why are we paying attention to them? So, but we are because the church oftentimes reflects that kind of heteronormativity and whiteness and so forth. So here's my story. John 10.10, Jesus said, I come to give you life in all of its abundance. You cannot have an abundant life if you are not embracing pleasure and your own beautiful, wonderfully, creatively gorgeous bodies mm-hmm. and expanding your horizons by reaching out and touching and caressing and loving the bodies around you in ethical ways, of course. So, so the abundant life principle, it seems to me, he lived out. So in Matthew, we learn that Jesus, the chief conflict with him and his enemies was that he was having too much fun all right (laughs) he was having the old translation was he was a wine bibber party goer and a wine bibber i love that 
<laughs> um, you know, he was having a good time. And just look at the parables that he told banquets, feast. This is, he told his disciples, this is how you sit and where you sit in a banquet and how you act, right? So this is a guy who went to parties and had a good time and get a load of this, violated the gender norms of his day. Mm. It was wrong. Uh, it was, it made him religiously impure to touch women or have them touch them. And there are mm -hmm. several stories of that. It was um, not expected and scandalous that he would talk to some women in public, let alone foreign women. And he did both of that. So this, and he out and out said to Mary and Martha, Martha particularly, who was criticizing her sister Mary, who was not sticking with the gender role of running into the kitchen, taking care of the men, right? <laughs> he says, wait a minute, Mary has chosen the best part, which was to stay in the room, talking with and listening to the men in the room, specifically him. Mm -hmm. so, so that violation of gender roles was, they understood that in the early church. And that's why you have women as women, uh, elders, I mean, deacons, and as they had house churches under their names, it's hard to find, but it's in the scripture, Junia, Phoebe, Priscilla, there's a number of them who were listed as being leaders. Uh, in fact, it was women who funded Jesus and his disciples that is also in there. Hmm. That makes sense because we get the job done. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, if if you grew up in a church that's touting you to keep your legs crossed and be a virgin and you know marry whoever you can get, that kind of thing, um, <laughs> then you just have to say, well, where where is that exactly in the Bible? You know, mm. and it's not in the stories of Jesus that came about because of the men who were interpreting the meaning of Jesus' life. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that out loud. I, I don't know how, but I mean, I think you and I have spoken about some of my history too, but uh, for anybody who's not familiar with my past on the podcast, I started out undergrad trying to be a youth pastor uh, at a very conservative Christian college. And I very quickly learned that they would take my money to attend the classes and get the degree. But within that specific denomination, I would never be allowed to make money in that profession. Right. Um, and part, a big part of my deconstruction around that aspect of my faith occurred when I realized that like when I learned the word canon and realized oh this this book that everyone says is like the end all be all this was like hand-picked by a bunch of men right. in a room years right. later like and there were and there were books that were left out yep and we don't talk about that at all and it's fascinating to me so so that was a little bit of a tangent, but I, I definitely think that makes a lot of sense. And so there are, again, there will be people listening to this who hear like, yeah, of course, you know, we believe that Jesus was a radical and uh, that we need to be radical in our faith too. But what does that have to do with the bedroom? Mm. What does that have to do with sex? Well, I think the radicality of it is if, if, if all the rules are summarized in love, 
then we have to ask ourselves, what is the most loving thing for me? What is the most loving thing for my partners or my life and so forth? And so that in itself is pretty radical because the culture will teach us, no, what is important is what you can get out of it for yourself, period. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, um, so everybody's doing their own thing individualistic and without regard to who you step on to do it or what you get. And so in the culture at large, the bedroom is about getting yours. Mm. Uh, my language in one of my YouTubes is it's about getting off, you know, <laughs> rather than what I think Jesus would be about. If you really love someone you're with, and I don't mean in a romantic way, we're going to get married committed way. I mean, if you value your person in front of you, mind, body, and spirit, then you, and you treat them as whole people. Um, and you don't abuse them. And the culture will say, no, you use them. And mm. I think Jesus would say, no, using other people is getting off, but mm. loving or respecting and honoring another person means that you get it on. Okay. And the good old Marvin. Uh, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. <laughs> yes. <and> Marvin <laughs> yeah. Let's get it on. That means this is, let's make, let's have a profound intimate experience where we go heart to heart, soul to soul. And you can do that in one night stands. It's not as easy, of course, but you can if both of you are very skilled in, um, in communication and in self-knowledge and the ability to, and the empowerment to put down your boundaries and what you're interested in and so forth. But um, treating, I did not see college students at the University of Pennsylvania um, treating one another as whole people. They were using mm. each other as vibrators. Uh, and, <laughs> and I said, go get a vibrator. You know, if you really just want to get off, you don't yep. need to use another person's body to do that. Mm-hmm. But of course, the problem is that we don't teach one another how to talk about these kinds of things. We don't give women um, permission to uh, set the boundaries, to say what we want, um, so we, we set people up so that they're not capable of negotiating what would be good for them mm. and uh, teaching people to be respectful and honoring and loving the other person enough and loving yourself enough to get the best experience for, for everybody involved. So that's very different, I think, than the, the cultural norms um, about the bedroom. Well, what really ended up happening then because these this group of men in my in my vision it's just this group of men in a room who say this book stays in that book makes me look bad so that one stays out and uh and it kind of keeps perpetuating throughout generations and and you know where men stay in power within the church they keep clutching and finding new causes to latch on to to keep them in power and uh we could go off on a whole other tangent about how you know the the anti-abortion movement was basically born out of that same kind of like power grab for men in the church and so then we end up with all of these rules about what a loving relationship should look like and what women should or should not do with their bodies. And we end up with purity culture, basically, which is like, 
uh, not only do should women not do anything on this list, but um, sex is bad and scary if you and your bodies are bad and scary and your thoughts can be bad and scary if you don't follow our prescribed list of rules. Right. Except that they don't say bad and scary. They say sinful and sinful. Therefore you will be punished and judged by a God who is against these kinds of things that we have said you have to be uh, kowtowing to. Mm -hmm. So it's really the bottom line is it's about controlling pleasure Mm. And specifically controlling women, mm. all right? Because when and I've I can't remember who wrote this, but somebody said that if you if you control women, then you've already controlled pleasure. That when you release, actually, I think he said it the reverse. When you liberate women, now you liberate pleasure. Hmm. I'm not sure, you know, where he was going with that, but I like it. I like the way it sounds. That there's something about, I will give you my explanation. There's something about the way we socialize females in this society to be vulnerable in the caretaking of children and the Mm -hmm. caretaking of the community and the mothers and so forth. We're always taking care of other people. There's a vulnerability to that. And that leaves us open then to, um, to have wide and varied sensual and pleasurable experiences and certainly nurturing experiences and reaching outward. Whereas we train our men in this society to be closed and be confrontative and competitive, right? And so by definition, how do, where does pleasure get into that? Well, it becomes competitive sex or closed your mind kind of a thing. Right, so, lots of rigid but, rules and- Yeah, yeah. So if you, if you move aside that kind of a mindset and it's not connected to the genitalia as a man, it's really you know the mindset mm-hmm. that there's two bifurcated views and we have, we've not paid any attention to that nurturing, expansive, abundant, caretaking, can we all get along and love one another um, and treat everybody kindly and well. That which we would define as feminine, which is not, it's human. Mm. Mm -hmm. So my point is that that is connected to pleasure. And that's what the patriarchy is trying to control, control. And it's done a pretty good job of messing up this culture uh, for for centuries and, and the Western world, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you officially start the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith? So we, I did the nonprofit status and everything in 2013. Okay. And uh, we actually began offering our first training in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then a book written by myself and one of the people I had trained who was a sexologist uh, came out in 2019. And we're using that as a text for the level one. And now I'm working on a couple more <laughs> for people in the pews and people who have left the pews, um, addressing you know how they can get out from under it themselves the sex negativity, which is fear. It's it's a shame based and fear based religion, and I just don't think Jesus would have anything to do with fear based and shame based religion. And so there's a, there are a way you can remain a Christian and get out from under that, 
Mm. Um, and that's what I want to be writing about. And then the other one is about pleasure itself. That ha that pleasure has to be the key point of the Christian faith. And it's the last place people will look for a good time is your local Christian church. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> I'm doing what I can. I, you know, I'm trying to make a party going religion here. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that what you, the way you just described it, it speaks to a really interesting point. Again, for my personal story, uh, having grown up in a very conservative evangelical background, it wasn't until I met my husband in college, really during college, not at college, that I even considered that other Christian denominations could still count as Christian. And he grew up United Methodist. And that like blew my mind that like, oh, I can respect this person too. Because, you know, the church had done such a number on me telling me there is only one way and it is our specific building's way. Yeah. Um, and so I think it is, it can even be a, a controversial point in itself to a lot of people who are still church going to imagine people can do Christianity a lot of different ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it all still quote unquote, quote counts. Right. Right. I think the real key for me, I'm a disciple of Christ pastor and the disciples are always about going back to the Bible, going back to Jesus. And if you just go back to the, how Jesus lived his life, how he modeled what it's like to be a spiritual being in a human body. Uh, if that's our guide, then you cannot, pull the games that that's currently being pulled or, and in our churches. You mm. can't do that. He was, he would not be one who would limit uh, women from leadership. Um, we have no basis for thinking that mm. um, women follow that, that 12 uh, men around all the time. They're always in those stories. Uh, and then in the early church. So that kind of, that's a perversion that, helps the patriarchy exist and keeps mm -hmm. the, make sure that the church, the church basically became a patriarchal institution as reflected in the Greco-Roman world of that time. Mm -hmm. They did it not, it took a while for that to happen because that's not what Jesus modeled. That's not what the early church was like, but slowly in order to keep from getting eaten by the lions in the Colosseum or you know, <laughs> and, you know, they, they sold out in so many ways uh, to, to survive. So we don't have to be really that harsh on them. Yeah, it was difficult um, to be a martyr uh, during those times, but they really sold out to the status quo, just like we see today. So many churches selling out to the status quo of consumerism, capitalism, militarism. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so 2013, a lot has changed in the, in the world since then, specifically when we're talking about sex positivity, how, how has that, how has that impacted the Institute? And also how do you think the Institute has impacted back to people who are working through this stuff? Well, I, I'm hopeful. I think uh, I do get a lot of verbal responses that people are delighted uh, with what we are teaching and it's been very helpful to them. Mm -hmm. Many people in order to be sexually liberated uh, actually have to give up their Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so I find people coming to my workshops at conferences and so forth who they've left the church. They're not mm -hmm. in the pews now, but they still got their Jesus. 
and they still have some understanding of who God is, but they've given up on, on the messages from the church that doesn't have anything good to say about our bodies. Mm. Unless, of course, you're heterosexual and you're married and you're doing procreative <laughs> kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not any good news about there's no sexual freedom. Where's the sexual freedom in, in the gospel? And I think we need to be talking about that. Mm. And of course, sexual pleasure. So, uh, so have things changed? Um, the, the Me Too uh, movement, mm. of course, it was tragic that all of this stuff happens, but it's wonderful that it's come out into the open and women are being very courageous and saying it's happened to Me Too. Mm-hmm. The whole church, hashtag church wounded, it's Oof. happened in the church. Uh, it happened with the pastor. I mean, we've got all that stuff happening. I think that's wonderful. And it is time that uh, all of this stuff comes out of the closets, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's it named as perverse. And I would name it as sin. What the church has done to women, um, to children, mm-hmm. uh, to parishioners has been incredibly sinful. Now, what, the reason why is because the church leadership has never worked out what it is to be a sexual Christian, Hmm. unapologetically sexual Christian. They just don't have that. They want to put boundaries around it. You have to be monogamous. You have to be straight. You have to be binary. You have to be, see all of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so my part in this story is I've got to be challenging those and say, no, wait a minute. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. (laughs) Freedom. It's about freedom. Read Galatians. It's about freedom, folks. It's about freedom and it's about love. Like I've, I've never heard someone describe what you started out this conversation describing it, you know, like so much of just culture in general sees sex as take and and that's that's so counter to everything that it was meant to be. Yeah. So let me tell you the story of Saint Augustine, because in the fourth century, he's the guy who was well placed, highly placed, um, and he's the one who wrote lots and lots of Christian theology, and he's the one who came up with this idea called original sin. Now, little backstory, we'll get back to religious sin. He was a Manichaean. Um, he followed a different religion and than Christianity. And he had a wild, profligate youth. He was having a good old time. Then he saw the light, became a Christian, still had a concubine, by the way, uh, with whom he lived for 12, 13 years, something like that, and with whom he had a child. But in becoming a Christian, he kind of began to absorb some of the sex negativity of the Greco-Roman world. Mm. And he began to feel terribly guilt-ridden about his profligate ways. His mother talked him out of, uh, talked him into leaving or kicking out the woman he had, who fathered, uh, who mothered his burst his child Mm -hmm. um so she left and um and then she the mother kind of got him well placed to do his theological tomes 
And so he pointed his finger to sex and he said, that is why we're separated from God because <laughs> of the sex act itself. And um, so we all have to rush out and get baptized when we're born because you are born a sinner. Why? Because you came about because of sex. Hmm. So in other words, sin is conveyed through a human body through sex, the sex act. And so for him to do the sex act was horrible. Now you had to do it because you had to have babies, but that was the only reason that women should exist was to make babies. <laughs> he flat out says that. <laughs> and then he also said, you know, if you have to have sex and try not to enjoy it. <laughs> okay? So he's the one, and there were other men before him and after him, but he's the one who really kind of codified it into theology. And so got passed down then now for hundreds of years that sex equals sin. Mm. Thank you very much. And I would just like to think, what would his life have been like if he'd had a good sexual uh, uh, counselor or therapist or mm. even a good sex educator? <laughs> would yeah. help this guy deal with his terribly guilt-ridden conscience. Uh, I think we would have a different theology. I mean, much of his other theology people find still very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a committed, passionate man about Christianity. It was just that when it came to three topics, he was messed up. Women, pleasure, and sex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, those are three pretty big ones, particularly <laughs> if you're a woman or if you're somebody who wants to have a woman in your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so... So just, just so we can say it out loud, who does this liberation welcome and, and hopefully keep within the church now? Like the idea that like, we're going to bring pleasure back to women, back into people's sex lives. Who can we keep in the church with that understanding? There have been a lot of people who have felt uh, that they're no longer welcome in the church because of their sexual or gender orientations or their lifestyle choices. Just so that I think it would, I think there are people in my life who are now out as gay, for example, who have been fed the lie that they can no longer belong to a church community because of that. Okay, well, I think they're confusing a couple of things. There's the institutional church, mm -hmm. the bureaucratic church, uh, the church that says it's the church. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then there are those who may be inside that system or not inside that system who get what Jesus was about, which is about loving, loving mm -hmm. yourself, loving your neighbor and loving your God and everything else points back to that. And then his life reflected that everything points back to when you live in love, you have a great time, right? Mm. And you break some rules that other people have set for you, <laughs> but you didn't agree to that, okay? Mm. So for me, the, um, the Jewish uh, religion has an understanding of the remnant. The remnant is a key idea. For me, there's a whole bureaucracy, a whole business 
of Christianity right now. And mm -hmm. it's making a heck of a lot of money for the Trumpers of this world, uh, for all kinds of white nationalists, or, you know, unfortunately, there's that tie in there. The NRA. <laughs> There you go. There you go. You know, and they've totally, totally sold out on what the gospel is about. They have no clue. It's not about what they're supporting um, because that's not loving. And it's not pleasure centered. It's not about uh, choosing life. Deuteronomy mm. says, I set, God says, I set before you life and death, choose life. And so who is in that remnant? Anybody who chooses life. Hmm. And that will include people who have left the institutional church or the bureaucratic church or the politicized church that is uh, in bed with politicians, all right? Because I, mm. I think love is a political act and mm. I think it's, love is a very radical act. Um, but, but who is in the church, I think we have to look at is where's the remnant? Yeah. Where are the liberated people who are not bound by this poppycock going on about you know who's going to go to heaven who's going to go to hell based on genitalia or what do you do in the bedroom that's craziness, <laughs> that's craziness right so so i'm on the inside of the church um and uh my my congregation hears these kinds of sermons i've had sermons about god as eros for example mm -hmm. um and I talk a lot about them. It's very inclusive because if you're going to love people, you've got an inclusive gospel. You've got a hospitable gospel. It means that you all come to the table. And that, my friend, is exactly what the parables of Jesus are about over mm. and over again. The invitations go out to everybody, but you cannot control the invitation list yourself. And mm. that's what a lot of bureaucratic Christians are trying to do or those politically oriented uh, Christians who have got a a patriarchal bent to them or trying to control the invitation list. And that's not the way the spirit moves. So um, I would say if you're in that uh, rigid church that's shame-based and fear-based or misogynistic, you know, get out of it for heaven's sake and find the remnant, <laughs> find the people who are spirit-driven, who understand the spirit of love, the spirit of abundance, um, the spirit of compassion and forgiveness, and who know that all are invited, you know? That's beautiful. That's incredible. I need to take a minute to compose myself after that. So let's bring it back to this whole idea of midlife. Yes. How, what are you seeing kind of like on the ground when you're talking about this stuff with people, particularly in that 35 to 50 year old range? Do you see a lot of interest in this shift in mindset is there is there a lot of deconstructing happening for people and and what are you seeing i am not seeing a lot of deconstructing i'm seeing a lot of interest mm. and a lot of people who understand that what i'm saying has a lot of wisdom to it mm. and they would like to believe it but they're looking at um at what we're we're pushing up against and, and what my response to that is, well, what you're seeing is not what's happening on the ground in a heck of a lot of congregations. So what you're seeing is coming from your newspapers and the, the press tends to quote um, the bureaucratized, institutionalized, uh, patriarchal churches and church leaders rather than the local congregations where the pastor happens to be gay the pastor happens to be a female. 
where the women are uh, not just serving in the churches, they are running churches. Mm -hmm. So, and they're doing all kinds of wonderful work. Like we, we had a team of women from our congregation who went down to the Southwest border uh, to help with mostly nonprofit driven, but also a lot of church and faith-based groups uh, dealing with the immigration flow into Arizona and Texas and so forth earlier, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. I mean, that's, that's a hospitable, inclusive ministry of welcome that says, you know, we love you. We care about what's happening to you and your family and so forth. And so that kind of, the church is alive, the, the remnant, what I'm calling the remnant, is alive and well, and it is moving. It's not making headlines um, a lot. Now, I do think that um, Reverend uh, Bill Barber with Moral Majorities, uh, or Moral uh, Mondays mm -hmm. in uh, North Carolina, and that's a nationwide movement. Um, Faithful America is another wonderful uh, organization. You know, there, there are groups of people people of faith and uh, people uh, following Christianity or, or Jesus who are making a big difference uh, for freedom. Not a heck of a lot of them are tying sexuality with it unless it's gay and lesbian stuff mm. to a lesser degree trans stuff. But what my enterprise is, is not focusing on just that, but focusing on the erotophobia within Christendom and within the teaching. If you don't have, if you can't articulate your gospel in a language that's going to help me be a better sexual person, then you don't have much of a gospel. Hmm. And the church has kind of left that stuff out. So I want to connect the teachings of Jesus to what we do in our bedrooms or wherever else we want to play. Um, <laughs> and, and however many people we want to play with, you know, how, how do we think through what is the most loving thing? So it's really, you know, I want to get to the point where I can write also about ethics. It's about ethics. How do we live as sexual beings on this planet and create peace and spread mm -hmm. love and have mm -hmm. a good time doing it? That's the bottom, that's the bottom line. So, yeah, I think there's interest. And the, yeah, we, have, we haven't got a, a movement going yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah, it sounds like you're really in the, in the front lines right now. Like it's, it's so, it sounds like, this hasn't even gone as far as it can go just right. as a concept, let alone people latching onto it. Right. And so this explains my name change. And this is what I need to talk about, which yes. is, it came to me a couple of years ago that the name Beverly for me is connected to the name that my mother gave me, the name that my grandmother wanted me to have. Um, is connected to Rev Bev, that is the pastorals thing. So it's connected to being a, a dutiful, obedient girl or daughter <laughs> or sister, whatever. And it's connected to being a pastor to other people and helping them handle their needs, right? Mm -hmm. The name Dale, however, is a very strong, male-centered, powerful name. And I realized that when this gets out of what I'm doing here is teaching a very counter gospel message that is fully entrenched in Christianity's um, chief story about Jesus. Mm -hmm. When it gets out, they're going to come after me. And uh, they're, they're not nice when <laughs> they think somebody is a heretic. Mm -hmm. And so when they come after me, I need to not be their pastor and I need not to be the dutiful, uh, obedient girl. Mm -hmm. I need to be strong. And so when people around me call me Dale, 
that's very clear uh, message to me to remember to stand up and to stand strong in, in my own faith and my own truth that I have learned through my own sexual history uh, of woundedness and uh, coming out on the other side. Mm. So, so that's the name, the name piece. That's why that's important that people call me Dale. I love that. This is ridiculous for me to say this at this moment, but I just want to say, uh, Dale is your Sasha Fierce. <laughs> Do you know what that reference means? No. So Beyonce, when she uh, performs, she uh, has said in interviews that she takes on like an alter alter ego, basically a different persona. Her persona that she puts on is Sasha Fierce. She named it. <laughs> Yes, I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's it's claiming that strength is really what it's about. You know, it's 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 giving taking back the power that was always due to you, and you you're now just claiming it. Yeah, and if not now, when? You know, I'm not getting any younger. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So let me just ask a clarifying question. Um, do you, did that change your pronouns or? No. Nope. Okay. Nope, no, I'm real clearly she, her. I have no trouble with that. But I am, but I am uh, redefining uh, what it is to be a woman mm -hmm. from what I learned from my mom, what I learned from my church, right? So um, I learned the whole submissive housewife business, and I certainly I lived that for a while. I learned to be obedient to an abusive, sexually abusive uh, relative. Mm -hmm. um, I learned to be silent in, in all kinds of ways that were harmful to me and, um, and not very Christian, actually. So uh, I think uh, when we embody who we think Jesus is or was or who we are to be, then we speak our truth. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I do. And I do understand the Beyonce connection. I, when I was performing my one woman show at the Fringe Festivals back in 10 years ago or so, mm -hmm. um, it was called An Irreverent Journey from Egg Beaters to Vibrators. <laughs> but when I was performing, um, I also felt very much that I was speaking from a, from a whole different side of myself. And it's the same way when I sing and it's the same way when I preach, uh, when I perform, I should say as well. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, when we give ourselves over to the spirit to say, here I am made in, in God's image and blessed by God to be who I am called to be, then we do have an inner power that says, don't mess with me. And nobody messes with Beyonce. And no. I would just love to say that maybe people will get that idea about me too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Not even maybe, just yes. There you go. It's time. And, that's, and that's what every woman needs to be feeling and experiencing. Mm -hmm. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. We all have to do it. Why? Because the men are screwing up where we're at. You know, the, <laughs> the male energy of competition uh, and confrontation and conflict uh, has got has brought this planet to a god awful mess. Yeah. In so many ways, and it's going to take women or people who understand the feminine principle of caring and nurturing. Yes. Um, to move to move it back. Yes, and, and we can't do that unless we have that strong sense of 
direction and sense of this is what we're called to be about. This is what life is about. This is what the gospel is about. Did you understand all of this through your midlife? And did you have plot twists along the way that that you wanted to talk about? Well, what happened in my life is that in by midlife, I felt like I was I was 10 years behind where I should be. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so I've been playing catch up all my life. If I, you know, I got detoured this whole sexual mess uh, of my uh, early beginnings led to um, bad dating history, led to a marriage that I had to do because I was pregnant, married to a, a marriage I should not have gotten into, but into motherhood. I mean, I, it was just a mess. Mm-hmm. And so my education was put on hold for about uh, 15 years. And uh, I just was not at the level where I wanted to be when I was in my midlife. So um, I've been doing, you know, <laughs> going extra fast, trying to catch up with what I think I was put on this planet to be about. Um, so my crisis was the fact that for so many years, I was playing around with being a mom, playing around with being who everybody else said I should be, uh, rather than listening to the inner voice and listening to the God within that says, no, this is where we want you to go. Mm. And I had to get myself ext- uh, extricated from uh, the life that everybody else thought I needed to have to begin to build my own life. So basically... By the time I was 50, I had kind of figured out what my life was <laughs> and I kind of knew, all right, now we got it. Now I can do it. <laughs> yeah. So we would, we would hope that in, you know, mid thirties and forties, women are already there, but I was not. And it took me, um, it took me a while to get out from under the, the stuff that gets dumped on me in the first part of my life. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I also want to say that I constantly cling to the fact that Oprah Winfrey got to remake herself at 50. There you go. I she came it. back bigger and better than ever at 50 years old. She had a whole rebrand. And I tell myself all the time, like, I'll be lucky if I can do that by 49. <laughs> but no. it doesn't matter if I do or not, because there's not an expiration date as long as you're still breathing and you, you get yeah. to do that whenever you choose. That's right. I mean, Grandma Moses didn't start painting until she was an older woman, very old. I remember how old she was, but <laughs> she did well. She did well. So no, it's I love the there's no expiration date on this. No, mm-hmm. we try to be as true as we can um, to who we're called to be each day that we can, and then and weed out the the wounds and the scars, and keep listening for what that voice is telling us to do and become, and uh, and we'll get there. You know, I love that. So I have two questions for you and we're, we're kind of moving towards wrapping this up. The first is a question that I ask every guest on my podcast. Um, if you could go back to your younger self and I'll let you define that however you choose, what would you tell her? I would say, I am so sorry. Some of these things have happened to you. Mm. Uh, it's not fair. And it was not right. And you are a beautiful person and you're going to be able to overcome it and become an even more beautiful person. So I would say, um, don't give up on your dreams. 
make them happen. They will just not on your timeline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, my, my last question is, is basically about the work that you're doing and the Institute, how well the, it's kind of a two-parter. The first one is how can people follow and like find and follow you and, and the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. And then the second is uh, what are the needs there? If, if there's anything that you would like to share as far as upcoming events, fundraising, if people are just curious and want to know how they can plug in and support the mission, mm-hmm. tell me all the good stuff. Okay. Well, there's several answers to that. Um, the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith, the website is incarnationinstitute.org. And uh, for those Christians or people who really want to know more about this way of thinking about Christianity, we have on there what we call um, IISF resource sheets. We have five of them that we sell. Very simple ones. Um, how to tell, if, how to know if your church is, uh, or how to find a a gay-friendly church is one of them. The mm-hmm. Ten Commandments of Sexual Decision-Making is another one. And then we also have on there um, four webinars. They're anywhere from 60 to 75 minutes long. And they're co- it's called Reading the Bible with Sex-Positive Eyes. Hmm. Uh, when I kind of go through all of this, and that's for people who are really serious about, yeah, let's deconstruct. And if you want to deconstruct with us, get that. <laughs> and get that uh, webinar series. Mm -hmm. So uh, buying those helps us, but just plain old donations would really be wonderful. Uh, What we're looking at right now is how do I ease out of leadership of administration and move into more of the creative aspect and think of more programming? Because I really want to get into offering some opportunities for people who are not professionals, Mm -hmm. uh, either in the church or professionals in sexual health. And in order for me to do that and to make my own voice more uh, accessible to people, I need to get out of the administrative piece. So uh, if people are interested in making that happen, then we have a number of um, ways that people can uh, help us with that. Uh, And it's basically raising some funds. Um, I have a personal website called beverlydale.org that always has my preaching dates on it. And I've been preaching on Zoom once a month or so. If people want to kind of stay in touch with that. Um, I do have, uh, we have, the Incarnation Institute has YouTube series called uh, Sex is Good. And then we also have a discussion guide or reflection guide, study guide with that, that we're selling for a small amount of money. So if you wanted to have a group of friends get together and let's talk about sex on the church, there's some YouTubes that are kind of fun. They're only five or six minutes long. And then there's a discussion guide you can use to lead it. So if you're in charge of a youth group, that would be a great way to get conversation happening. So um, go to the websites, I think would be a good place. Um, but certainly make a donation. We've got a PayPal account. Help us out here. Excellent. And certainly anyone who is in a helping profession, either uh, within the church or within a therapeutic realm, they can also go through the trainings, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Our level one, will be in January, February next year. Excellent. Dale, thank you so much. Like you would think sitting on the board, I know all of this already. And it still like keeps hitting me over the head afresh every time I hear it. So thank you so much. And I'm just 
so excited that you exist and that this organization exists and that this work is happening. And I hope five, 10 years from now, you will not feel like you're on the front lines anymore. There will be a whole army behind this. I love it. I love it. We're getting there. It's, it's beginning to happen. It's yeah. beginning slowly but surely but thank you for interviewing me i've enjoyed talking about this awesome thank you so much for listening to this episode of midlife plot twist don't forget to hit the subscribe button and show some extra love by leaving a review i'd love to hear from you you can reach me on my website at lucybaberphotography.com or on instagram at lucybaber Thank you so much for joining me and I can't wait to chat again soon. Until next time.